ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Dome Patrol on Hard in the Paint with my man, the one and only Ross Jackson. Let's get right into it. Ross, how are you doing? And welcome back to HITP, man. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Always glad to be here with you, as always. Uh, now, nah, man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A little tired this morning, but you know what? We're going to perk it up. We're going to be fine. We're going to be all right. We're gonna be That's right. right. I mean, you have been a busy man. You have been a busy man. You've been on... Uh, you did uh, sports overtime with Nader, mm-hmm. and you, you know you done so much this week. But you always got your home here, so we're glad to have you. Of yeah, course, um, we have to start with Drew Brees' retirement. Um, that's where everything yes. begins since the last time we talked. And wow, um, yeah, that did happen just like this the past day. Weekend. Yeah, the, like right wow, after yeah. Um, the anniversary of his sign. It came on the anniversary of his signing with the Saints, right. which is to you know. That's Pete Drew Brees. That's poetic. That's Pete poetic Drew Brees. Breeze right he, know, he knows. <laughs> he knew. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's not an accident. Right. Is, it was very much, you know, and then have the kids do it and all that. And it's not right. to criticize, but that's Drew Brees. He's going right. to orchestrate as much. That's that's what he did on the field. Mm-hmm. That's what he doesn't like. He tries to right. orchestrate it as much as possible. Um, in that moment, just your professional and personal summary of uh, Drew Brees' career. Yeah, I think the professional summary just comes down to the simple fact that, you know, Drew Brees was always the precise, meticulous, hardworking, preparation-focused, routine-focused, routine-driven player that really reestablished a lot of standards within the New Orleans Saints organization in terms of how players get ready for games, what they do, what they do to stay locked in, their devotion to the team. He sort of set a gold standard for what that was. And I would say that it went beyond the the New Orleans Saints organization as well. I don't know that I can specifically name, you know, a, a team or a player outside of New Orleans that took on to his uh, it took on to his process outside of maybe Russell Wilson, who talked about how much he idolized Drew Brees. But of course, like there are players that played with Drew Brees on the New Orleans Saints that would go on to be on other teams. And so inherently, there's going to be a bit of a permeation in terms of the standard that he set and the expectations that he set and where, you know, those other players may have taken that insight. And so I think that, you know, you you can always look, fall back on the, the on-field accolades, right? Um, number one in career passing yards, number one in career completions, well, you know, three or four times that he set the the reset the record for most uh, or for the highest completion percentage five five thousand yard passing seasons first passer to eighty thousand passing yards like all of this is there and all of this you can find on his wikipedia page or his pro sports reference page, pro football reference page and everything he'll be a hall of famer once he's eligible eligible in 2026 but the thing that i really take away from drew Brees' time in the nfl was his meticulous nature and willingness to evolve his game to fit what he was able to do. Um, you know, I think in the NBA, we give a lot of credit to LeBron James for becoming a three point shooter, for becoming somebody that can shoot from, you know, uh, more than just, you know, under the, you know, dominating in the paint and, and making big plays, uh, you know, at, at the rim. And then he 
changed his game over time as he aged so that he could be more effective further away from the basket. We saw Drew Brees change his game over time with his age to become more precise, become more uh, detail-oriented, to become more accurate, ball placement, all these other things that he already had, but he also would have the ball that he could push downfield more times than not. Um, you know, More times what we saw in the 2018-2019 season, for instance, but or excuse me, 2019-2020 seasons, but those seasons we still saw him threaten teams with his mind by by being the smartest player the smartest football player on the field at any given time um on the personal side i mean this is a guy that helped i don't want to give him full credit for it but he helped to you know bring a lombardi to new orleans right and to help uh rejuvenate and revitalize that organization in the midst of a reason that itself was was trying to rejuvenate and revitalize i you know i always parallel my own rebirth with uh, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, it was the first piece that I ever wrote, actually, when I started writing about about them, was talking about that parallel. You know, 2005, two weeks before Hurricane Katrina, I was in the hospital for brain surgery to remove a brain tumor. And then as, you know, I struggled with my recovery through that, having to go back to the hospital a couple of times, Hurricane Katrina happens. My mother and I are living out of our car at the time. And then we end up having to try to get out of the city of New Orleans as bad, you know, after the hurricane passes and everything. And then we're, you know, living in a tent in, you know, the middle of Audenville, Louisiana on somebody else's property until they take us in into an outdoor kitchen. Like it, it was a, it was, you know, a wild time in, in my life coming out of homelessness at that time already. And so, you know, I, I watched the one thing that I had, particularly when we landed somewhere, was on Sundays. I, I all of a sudden had a routine, you know, and especially as the Saints returned to the Superdome and they had the big rebirth play, Steve Gleason's block. Like, this goes beyond Drew Brees, right? It goes into the entire organization as a whole as it began to rejuvenate and rebirth in and of itself. But he, of course, was a huge measurable part of that, right? Even though he wasn't supposed to be the savior at the time. That was supposed to be Reggie Bush. Like Reggie Bush was the big deal, second overall. Uh, but, you know, Drew Brees became this person that not only helped to rejuvenate the franchise, but keep it ticking for another 15 seasons to where Saints fans never said there's always next year, there's always next year. It was always there's always this year, you know, and so it was always it was a very different way of thinking when you had Drew Brees under center. And so despite the things that I might be in conflict with him about, right, like everything yeah. that happened in June, uh, you know, in the Yahoo Finance interview and everything that I, you know, I now await and see, OK, COVID you know, is hopefully we're starting to see a brighter light here when it comes to the pandemic and Drew Brees is retired. Maybe we start to see him in some of those black and brown communities and, and making differences in those areas and things like that, as he mentioned he would do uh, in his Instagram post in, in not so clear words. But I think that was his intent. Um, and so is will he hold himself accountable to that? Now there's opportunities for him to find that, as he mentioned in his post. He's not retiring from New Orleans. He's just retiring from football. And now his life's work begins. And we'll see what that life's work looks like as, as he moves forward. But I, I'm grateful that I got to cover him. I'm grateful that I got to watch him. And I'll be grateful to see what he continues to do. Yeah, uh, I think there are very clear distinctions that we make as for Drew Brees as the person and the player. Um, mm -hmm. I... And tend to be a little less forgiving for him for some of mm -hmm. the personal things. It's, it's not just the racial stuff things. It's the focus on the family. It's the um, the issues with some of the you know the pyramid scheme that he was part of and mm -hmm. the jewelry thing. Like there are just a couple things that just bothered me. Right. But 
that has nothing to do with how I evaluate him as the player. Um, mm-hmm. When I look at him as the player, I think the most comparable thing is to what Drew Brees means is what Peyton Manning meant to Indianapolis in that that right. franchise was at rock bottom. Um, you know, again, like you said, a running back was supposed to be the star. Marshall Falk was right. the guy in Indianapolis at the time. And, and I think that there's a similar profile between uh, Peyton and Drew as far as guys who overachieved. Peyton Manning is not what you would consider the, the physical specimen, you know what I mean? That quarterback, he didn't have the greatest arm. He didn't have, you know, he wasn't an athlete behind Mm -hmm. center. Um, um, And neither is Drew Brees. I mean, Drew Brees more athletic than Peyton Manning. I would say that certainly. Um, But again, shorter than normal, a guy who had to, you know, change the way he threw basically Mm -hmm. um, for the NFL, learning to throw upwards almost to get it over the line. Um, and changed, you know, basically having an offense that was shaped around those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, and they were both in complete control for the most part of those offenses when they were right. on the field. Right. Um, though Sean Payton probably was a stronger presence um, than whomever Payton had at different times in his career right. offensively. Um, but I think they both physically overachieved uh, as far as statistics. You know, mm-hmm. They both found themselves in the top of the statistical areas. They both meant a lot to their communities. They are beloved figures, first ballot Hall of Famers. Both won one Super Bowl with the team that, that, that in a city that never thought that they probably would. Mm-hmm. Um, and fan bases that had never believed in a championship for a long right. time. And they also have, as professional, you know, in their careers, some very tough um, negatives, losses mm-hmm. in games that they should have won in the postseason. Sure, um, you know Saints one and four at home in their last five playoff games. Right, last five home playoff games. You know yeah. those seasons that just weren't right, um, and some key mistakes that you could say at the end of games or the end of postseason games um, that they both had. And they both had their periods of where they threw a bunch of picks. Yeah. Um, so it's like for me, that's why Drew Brees is 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 not in that top cut. He's in mm-hmm. that second cut to me with the Dan Marino. And I even put Peyton a little bit lower, too, because of those yeah. things. Dan yeah. Marino, Peyton, Breeze. Those guys are in a elite group. But I think it puts them beneath a Brady, a Joe Montana, um, that type of group. Right. A Bart Starr, you know, mm-hmm. where the, the excellence was maintained. And right. when it was time to win, you pretty much bet on them to do it each and every time. And I think that you, you had more doubt on a week to week, on, you know, in a postseason with Peyton basis, and with yeah. Drew than you did with Aaron, any of those Aaron Rodgers in that conversation. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers should be on that second cut too. That second because, cut, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, even a Ben Roethlisberger, you could say sure. is on that mm-hmm. second cut, um, you know, but you know, if you talk about Eli, that's way down, but, you know, <laughs> right. but those guys I think are on a similar level and I, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And I understand why fans, you know, are, are you know, want to look at the numbers and say Drew Brees is the greatest quarterback of all time. But I think as we, you know, when you have to split those hairs, those are the hairs that I have to split. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, uh, that's the thing I always encourage is like, if you're going to split hairs statistically, you have to split hairs in terms of situation as well, right? Situationally, you, you can't leave out you know, any part of the narrative, if your focus is on trying to include more of the narrative than the standard evaluation of like regular season 
success, right? You have to include the postseason success as well. You have to include the statistical success as well. And and I, you know, I agree. I've always had the, you know, we've always had these conversations about whether or not Drew Brees or Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. Well, Tom Brady's got seven rings and like and ten appearances. In ten appearances, and it's like I, I and I get that those are those are team stats, but somebody leads that team, and we credit Drew Brees all the time for leading the team. So we should credit Tom Brady for leading his team as well, even though they do it in a vastly different style. Mm-hmm. They do it in very, very different styles. And that's not to knock Drew Brees, because I always say that Drew Brees is one of the greatest of all time to ever play the quarterback position. And I don't have any any qualms with saying that. Uh, but I'm not going to put a definitive nature on on any conversation like that, because we're also now in the midst of a Patrick Mahomes era of that conversation transitioning anyway, in terms of who's the greatest of all time and who's the greatest of right now. And so at this moment, it. It, it, it's a useless kind of argument to me. I, I like the I like the approach rather of of tiering or taking a look at where you know people were best at individual places. And when it came down to being a cerebral quarterback that knew everything that the defense knew or knew knew exactly, you know, was was three steps ahead, four steps ahead at times. That was Drew Brees, you know what I mean? And that's something that I'll always credit him for, for being the smartest player on the field, even down to the, you know, you look at the Week 15 matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs, the 54-yard pass to Emmanuel Sanders down the field. That was him and Emmanuel Sanders being on the same page, and that was him being smarter than the defense. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you got with Drew Brees, and, you know, you never felt like you were, you know, the team was out with, you know, within one score, two minutes left in the game, even down to this last season. You know, you still felt that, the Saints still have a chance, you know, and or the Saints are going to be all right, you know, and everything. And, and I think that, that that's a level of comfort and solace that, you know, I think we I, I always try to encourage people not to take for granted. Mm-hmm. And it's hard not to when you've seen it for 15 seasons, you know, for 15 straight years to, to not take that for granted, because that won't be the case in 2021, at least not immediately. Right. Like that has to be that has to be proven and that has to be earned to have that level of comfort. And that's now something that that you're going to be missing in sort of the the Sunday watching experience of uh, of taking in the New Orleans Saints. But you know, one of the things that I will say is that you and 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 I think we all knew that this was going to happen. That once Drew Brees retired, everyone was going to rush to the podium to give their thoughts about why he's not great. You know, mm-hmm. particularly in national uh, national coverage and everything like that. And and I just want to continue to encourage people to not worry about that. Like those. The, the opinions, I, I, I wage that the opinions of the community are more important than the, the you know, opinions of the ratings, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I always kind of caution that bait of, yes, people are going to fire off their takes, people are going to fire off their shots and everything like that. And that's all fine because it's part of the game. Like, that's part of what has to happen. That's part of how these debate shows work and the, the the debate theatrics and everything like somebody has to take the other side so that somebody can take the other side right so like that's that's just the 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 form of it right everybody's got to play their role in in that in that conversation and so you know once we get to the hall of fame year and him open you know his his eligibility opening up all of those types of conversations will probably resurface. You know, mm-hmm. does Drew Brees deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Is he our first ballot Hall of Famer? All this other stuff. Like, just don't buy into that. Don't worry about that. Like, you know what you've witnessed for 15 years or for 20 years of an NFL career, and uh, nothing about that's invalid. I mean, you, you saw what this guy did, and there's no reason to try to take anything away from that in terms of what he did on the field. The other guy that I would put in that group is Favre, too. 
Oh, Favre, yeah. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, again, that 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 long mm-hmm. career. Right. Again, won his Super Bowl early in his career. Didn't get that second one, mm-hmm. you know, and... And, and kind of hurt a, himself coming back and still not getting there. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. that's what the thing will be with Breeze is that you get those last 10 years mm-hmm. and you have one NFC Championship game appearance over your final 10 years. Yeah. I think that is... Those are the chits that people use to to divide and i think there's nothing wrong if people say the classic quarterback you're in is brett Favre, dan marino <laughs> peyton manning no, like if that's who you're grouped with yeah you should be good with that and yeah. i think fans can, you know fans are always going to elevate their home player mm-hmm. before and, and that's that's the nature of the beat yeah yeah um but i think it, like you said it's not worth getting in the argument with mm-hmm. somebody who says oh he's down here he's not this he's not that Look, right. I'm I'm not going to argue with that. It's not my that's not my place. I'm just going to tell you what I saw and and on the field, yeah, he's one of the the 10 to 12 because era has to take its spot too. Sure. And and I think this is like this is like the the home run era in baseball where the numbers exploded, but of those people, he took advantage of it. And mm-hmm. and he did it as well as anybody else could have possibly done it. Yeah. Um in that time statistically. Yeah, I mean, you look at him being the only person to have more than a single 5,000-yard season, and then he went ahead and did it five times. <laughs> you know, I mean, he took it you know, just, in, just in terms of taking advantage of, of the era of the game and everything, and also being able to do that by maximizing the talent of skill position players around him and everything. Not to say that the talent wasn't already there. I mean, you had Devery Henderson for multiple years. You had Marcus Colson for multiple years, Willie Steed, Lance Moore, Pierre Thomas, like, Reggie Bush, of course, catching on back with Dar- Jimmy Darren. Jimmy Graham, absolutely. Yeah. Darren Sproles, like you have all of these players out there um, that weren't, you know, slouches by any means. You know, you had these players that you could, you know, pitch a ball to three yards behind the line of scrimmage, then it turns into a sixty-four yard, you know, touchdown. And great protection like. too. And really, yeah, a, a, a an organization that focused very much on the team building aspect of building from the inside out, right? Building from the trenches. And that certainly benefited a guy like Drew Brees to be in that that scenario and in that system. And of course, working with a head coach like Sean Payton, who schemes wide receivers and schemes pass catchers better than anybody in the NFL. And that's not to take away from from Drew Brees because he has to be able to manage all of that very complicated mm-hmm. schematic, uh, uh, you know, output on the field. You know, like that's just another sort of mental procedure that he has to go through outside of reading proje- uh, reading. Um, his progressions and making the right choices and everything that he has to do as a quarterback. Now you have to do it at this very, very high level. And, you know, I mean, he helps to, to create that offense, you know, I mean, they would share their plays. They go through their dot days. like they did all yep. these incredible things to, to create the greatest offense that we've seen in the NFL over the course of many years. Um, you know, and even a record setting offense in 2011 that was eventually broken, but at that time was the best, most, uh, uh, largest yardage output by an NFL offense. And so, you know, I mean, he, he's attached to all of that, and, and rightfully so, and rightfully so. Yeah, we're not burying Caesar. You know, we didn't come right, to bury yeah. Caesar. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I know folks sometimes get on me, but I'm telling you, I didn't come to bury that man. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, but like you said, we're going to continue to see how he, if, how or if he evolves as a person beyond this, because there are some things right. that we, we want to see and that he said yeah. he's going to do. Yeah. Um, but that the transfer that now to the quarterback room, Saints mm-hmm. resigned Jameis, not a big deal, not, mm-hmm. not you know financially, not a not a huge deal. Yeah. They restructured Taysom with a deal that 
is never going to get paid out. <laughs> Anybody thinks Taysom Hill getting 140 million dollars, you know, like I said, it should it, could, it might as well be 140 kajillion. Yeah, yes, it's, exactly. Like we could matter. get that contract tomorrow. Yeah, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's not real money, right? So the Saints are going into this quarterback competition with these two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jameis is slightly ahead. Agree. But I think the contract shows that the Saints are not sold on either one of them yet. Does this mean that there's a draft quarterback coming more likely? Or do you think that they go for a veteran free agent? And if that's so, what veterans are out there? Yeah, I think it's more so about they have left themselves the available space to be able to attach themselves to another veteran if the right one becomes available. And I'm not talking about Russell Wilson. I, I don't think that Russell Wilson gets moved this offseason. I think that if Russell Wilson does get moved, it's it's next season, like next offseason. They can't it's actually, take that hit. Seattle right, cannot take that hit. Right, where it's actually viable for the franchise, you know. And so, you know, I, I would keep an eye out for I, – I would, so I wouldn't keep an eye out for the Russell Wilson thing. I, I'm not. I'm not into that. Uh, or uh, let me say I'm not convinced of that. That's that's really more accurate. Um, but, you know, if the right, like, you know, young vet or right veteran becomes available, then maybe the Saints do go after, you know, what would be a fourth or maybe the third out of four quarterbacks on the roster because they also have Trevor Simeon on a future reserve deal. They brought him in last year to kind of be the clipboard guy, and they really haven't had that in New Orleans over the past few years because they were always training the next guy to be the air after Drew Brees, right? So and Teddy Jason Bridgewater. has been that third guy for two, right. years, you know, for two, three years now. Yeah, and he's been working as a you know tight end, fullback. Like he's been, you know, he's been the offensive weapon that he is. And he and Teddy Bridgewater and Jameis Winston all at separate times on that roster, all being groomed to potentially be the next quarterback after Drew Brees. So you didn't have that Chase Daniel, you didn't have that Luke McCown who was just on the sideline with the clipboard or with the tablet now you know, ready to go over what, you know, Drew Brees is seeing on the field with him. You know, you saw Drew Brees sitting by himself more times than not on the sideline as opposed to, you know, when you used to see like Mark Brunel and these other guys like nope. standing there and like <laughs> flipping through with him, right? So you'd always see that. And, you know, so they brought Trevor Simeon in to be that, I, I believe. Uh, and so it doesn't surprise me to see him still on that future reserve deal. I wouldn't be shocked if the Saints rolled into 2021 with a with a quarterback depth chart that included. I'm not going to I don't know what the order is going to be. I'm, I'm pretty confident what the order is going to be. But that included uh, Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon and being fine with that. But I think they've kept themselves open to any opportunities that may arise. If a Sam Darnold should become available, that's not my top choice. But hey, maybe that's interesting to the Saints. If a Mitchell Trubisky comes out and says, hey, can I get one of those one point one million dollar Jameis goes back to school contracts and see if I can rejuvenate my career just like Teddy Bridgewater and and Jameis Winston did sure why not like there's you know you're not coming here to be the starter if you're coming here to sit back and learn and work with these coaches then sure you know what I mean I don't know that the Saints are in a cap situation that allows them to say yeah have a couple milli like that's fine uh but you know I mean it, it could be those those types of moves um you know, if Alex Smith ends up not being able to find a starting role somewhere, which is looking which less and less likely. Yeah, it's looking less and less likely like he will. Maybe he becomes somebody that is, you know, looking to rejuvenate his career as well, or at least land on Extended. a team for a season. Exactly. And then get himself out there and then he can say, hey, I worked with, you know, Sean Payton for a year or, or whatever. Um you know, so there are a lot of those opportunities, and maybe the Saints do go to the draft and they look at. I don't think they burn a first rounder on. No, a, no, no, no. You know, no, no. unless it's absolutely the best player available. Um, somebody has to drop. Though. Yeah, yeah, it has to be completely like just 
you can't pass it up type of an opportunity for them to go quarterback in the first round. Now that Jameis is on the roster, if Jameis didn't sign and he signed elsewhere, then I would have said, yeah, probably like that would make sense that they would move for a quarterback. But as of right now, unless the, the, the return is the return on investment is too good. I, I, I don't see them investing in that, but you could see, you know, a, a day two quarterback that is on the board with one of the compensatory picks or, or, you know, in the third round or a fourth round pick, a, a Kyle Trask, a Jamie Newman, a Felipe Franks, somebody that maybe has some tools that they're interested in. Jamie Newman and Felipe Franks have the, the huge arm that's accustomed, uh, that's akin to uh, Jameis Winston. So maybe, you know, if they want to have another backup, that a young backup that they can groom that has that similar skill set, or maybe if they want to go back, you know, have somebody to where they can go back to a meticulous ball placement, accuracy driven quarterback, then Kyle Trask could be that guy that just has really good composure. And I know he's a Florida quarterback. So in the Saints, you know, fan base, he doesn't get a lot of credit. But I mean, a lot of the things that he does, he has some very, very good uh, quality, some very, very good traits, some elite traits at that in, in terms of his ball placement and in terms of his, his his composure. And, you know, that being a third, fourth round prospect, you draft at that point, you draft at any point for what a player can do as opposed to passing a player's what they can't do. But if what they can do fits and is something you feel like you can develop, then yeah, you, you dip into that and then you see what happens. It's a third or a fourth round pick. That's that's developmental time. So I can see them going that route. But look, I think Jameis's contract, five and a half million dollar base with six and a half million dollars of incentives that include, you know, playing time, playoff time, statistical uh, uh, thresholds and things like that. I, I think that that's a really good build for him to get up to 12. Be, sorry. I'm sorry. And if he is the starter for yeah. the New Orleans Saints and, he, and yeah. with Jameis's pedigree, those statistical marks are not unfathomable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And especially considering the fact that like you have to, you know, any of those incentives are sort of based off of the, the, the projection the excuse me, the, um, the production from the year before. And, you know, he barely hit the field the year before. This was one of the reasons why like keeping Jameis Winston away from the NFL last season was so important. That's why I kept saying like, don't let him out. Like, don't put him out there. Uh, because you don't want if he's going to be the next guy, then all of a sudden you, you know, you don't want to compete with anybody. You have an opportunity here to keep him in the to keep him in at a, at a decent contract level. They did. And you can base it off of incentives that are not likely to be earned, which means that any incentives that he earns kick to next year's salary cap as opposed to this year's salary cap. That also worked out. So I think it's a good deal for him. I agree that he comes in with a bit of a head start. I'd say like 60 percent, 40 percent like he's starting in lane three while Taysom's maybe starting in lane like six perhaps so he's a little bit back but like for the most part I mean you just you know you'll you'll have to see how it all pans out and you know Jameis gets a little bit of a head start there because of five years of starting NFL quarterback experience and a a skill set that will translate in the practice and training camp environment better than Taysom Hill as well yep and, and I think just that experience of of being able to get the ball out maybe a little bit quicker, understanding mm-hmm. defenses, and not having to cut off large sections of the field at times to point. get taste yeah. and reads is yeah. something that a lot of these guys, you know, offensively are saying, that's that's what we're looking for. Yeah. And I think his relationships in the locker room will help him a lot as well. Um, yeah, we saw that big last year. Absolutely. Um, Mickey Loomis was on Sirius XM. He says Saints are not rebuilding, they're retooling, and we've mm-hmm. seen that through the moves that they've made. 
Uh, Got to give much credit to Kai Harley and, and all Oof. the things that he's done Oof. because he's the superstar here. Yeah, like don't people, get it twisted. <laughs> that, this is the dude that does the math, right? And 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 I, I don't like I I've said it and you said it. I don't see him being long for New Orleans considering all the things he's been able to do. But when you knock off 111 million dollars off that cap, man, you do it in a matter of weeks. Hey, hey, bravo. For real. And especially doing it without, you know, you still have two players that are still on their fifth year options that are double digit cap hits. Those players have not been extended yet. Um, You franchise tagged, spent an extra $10 million in the process of clearing all of that. Like it it was, it it was pretty, oh, and you re-signed potentially your starting quarterback for the season as well. And, and, you know, yeah, I know that they lost a couple of players like Janoris Jenkins and, and, and Emmanuel Sanders. And unfortunately they lost Justin Hardy here recently as well. And those are, those are big losses, but you look at what the expectation was, what the anticipation was in terms of what the saints were going to lose this season. And those were not the names that people were saying, Oh, well, the saints are going to have to part ways with X, Y, and Z in order to get under the salary cap. And not only did they retain them, they haven't even touched those contracts yet, which is a pretty incredible feat. Um, and you look at that and you say they did resign James Hurst, which I think right. you wrote about this and how important that resigning is, mm-hmm. especially after letting go of Nick Easton. Um, right. And and then knowing that potentially, you know, what could happen down the road with Toronto Armstead and all these things. Um, talk about specifically why Hurst is so important quickly. Yeah, you're looking at a you know a player that can play multiple positions on the offensive line. Um, you know the Saints really helped to popularize that sixth man on the offensive line. You look back to the Senio Calamete days. Um, you know James Hurst was somebody that came in. He was suspended for the first three seasons last year because of substance abuse, or or let me say rather the the NFL substance abuse policy, which is a very different monster. Uh, but you know he came in and played really well. I mean, he was he played over 100 snaps uh, in pass protection. I believe it was over 140 snaps in pass protection, allowed only two total pressures throughout the season. He was a key run blocker for the Saints when they were out there with their sixth offensive line. Any of those big quarterback power runs that you saw with Taysom Hill, James Hurst was usually on the field there. Uh, you know, and he also slotted in at right tackle, left tackle, and left guard at different points throughout the season as well. So, I mean, you look at his versatility and you look at what he brings, and he's a guy that, unlike Nick Eason, Nick Eason struggled a lot with lower body strength in particular, and even a little bit of upper body strength issues as well, um, it, which was more noticeable when he played center and had to transition from snap to block. But James Hurst, who isn't going to have to do that because center is probably the one position you're not going to ask him to play because you don't you're you're pretty covered there at this point there yeah right yeah you're okay um you know and now you have this guy that can go from inside to out and has that upper body strength has that lower body uh control that has good feet it's all these things to where you know he he you just get a lot of positives with james hurst and keeping him around um, and especially keeping around on a three-year, $9 million deal with only $5 million guaranteed, which means you're out from under that contract after next season. It's a really good structure for them, too, to be able to keep him in, in New Orleans. Then you, we have to discuss the loss of Malcolm Brown through trade. Mm-hmm. Saints give back a seventh-rounder, which I'm, I was a little hey. surprised. I thought they might get yeah. more. But um, even with that, we knew that he was likely um, to be one of those candidates that had to be traded just because of that cap number. Um Along with Trey Hendrickson signing away, which I think is is much less of a concern, especially going into those numbers. And that's something that you and I have talked about a number of times, the value of pressure versus the number of sacks and how many of Trey Hendrickson's sacks really came 
by him being in the right place at the right time and not him beating his guy um it, and just the mm-hmm. unpredictable the unpredictable nature of those numbers right um but i think malcolm brown is a tougher loss for the saints in that regard how do you how do the saints replace his impact yeah, I think, I mean, you can, so there are still some really good defensive tackles. It's still a very good defensive tackle class of free mm-hmm. agents. I mean, Jonathan Hankins is still out there. Kawan Short's still out there as well as others. And, you know, you have a very strong and very versatile defensive line class in the draft too. And I would not be surprised to see the Saints address both an interior line focused defensive lineman and an edge focused defensive lineman in the draft. I think that those are two positions that might get weighted pretty heavily for the Saints to where they kind of get get a little bit of a jolt in the possibility of being best player available on their board because of how important those positions have been to them. They retain Ryan Nielsen, which I think is a big deal in terms of the development of these uh, defensive linemen. I, you know, look, Malcolm Brown was probably going to be gone no matter what, right? News mm-hmm. had broke that they were going to cut him, and then they ended up finding a trade for him, which in and of itself is impressive. That usually doesn't happen. Uh, but expect, the, yeah. yeah, but the Jacksonville Jaguars make sense. Like one of the things that they mentioned as they were starting to to get ready for the season was that they wanted to start by really solidifying their defensive line and getting the right players there they're doing a little bit of a shift to more of an odd man front so Malcolm Brown makes perfect sense as somebody that can be a not only a nose tackle run stopper but he can generate pressure as well I mean he's not going to get you Aaron Donald type numbers from the interior by any means but he's going to get you better numbers in terms of sacks and pressures than you would usually get from a nose tackle or, or a one tech so I think that, you know, the Saints walking away with a seventh round pick from this year, that was probably about, I mean, I thought that, you know, with, with, I thought a fifth round pick was possible. Right. Um, I think that had the Jacksonville Jaguars had a sixth round pick, then they probably could have gotten a sixth. But the Saints benefited from the time of this trade because just a day later, Michael Brockers was traded from the Los Angeles Rams to the Detroit Lions to reunite with Jared Goff, who he very clearly talked bad about <laughs> immediately when the Matt Stafford trade happened. So uh, that's going to be awkward. But, you know, he ended up getting traded for a seventh round pick as well, but they won't get that seventh round pick until 2023. And so the Saints trading for an undisclosed pick ahead of that ended up actually benefiting them because had Michael Brockers been traded for a 2023 seventh, then the Saints probably would have gotten maybe the same return at the least because I don't think you could go any further out before the draft starts uh, than that anyway. So, yeah, look, I, I think that it, it, he was a player that the Saints were going to part ways with anyway, not because he played poorly, not because they're, you know, he didn't fit or anything like that. It's just it's tough to justify certain returns on investment when you're already cutting guys to, it, just for the sake of saving two and a half million dollars. You're talking twice that and five million dollars and you get a return from it for him. It, it makes a lot of sense. And so replacing him is going to be either bringing in a new face, whether it's through free agency or the draft, or it's the guys that you already have in the building. I mean, they really like Malcolm Roach. They really like who can play that nose tackle. And the th- he can play nose tackle through three tech and edge, actually, if you want to bump him out to five tech over tackled to be a, you know, a run stopper. But then you also have Carl Granderson, who has the build to move inside. You have Shai Tuttle, who's been excellent. Uh, for them since bringing him in as an undrafted free agent so they've done just such a good job at developing these defensive linemen and so Malcolm Brown I think is going to be a big loss to take on especially if Sheldon Rankins who's still out there and still available he hasn't signed anywhere yet so if he doesn't return to New Orleans then you know I think that you still have the the combination of losing both of those means you have to bring in somebody to continue to compete there but I think they'll be okay on the defensive line particularly with Ryan Nielsen still in the building who do you think has been the most significant of the losses either via free agency or trade 
Yeah, I, I would probably say Janoris Jenkins. Um, just that 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 spot is so premier for the Saints. That cornerback two spot. They they work so hard through Ken Crawley and Eli Apple and these other players that they put out there opposite you know Marshawn Lattimore to just kind of be there. So finally, you got a guy in Janoris Jenkins that was a veteran leader along with Malcolm Jenkins for the secondary. Really brought the focus of film study and preparation to that secondary, and the importance of that showed it off. The first game with the pick six off of the uh, the spray release to the out route throw that was coming from, from uh, to Justin Watson from Tom Brady, and he just really put that on display. About hey, this is why it's important to study. Like we've seen this three times in the first half. Marshawn and I talked about it. I saw it again in the second half. We were ready for it. Like it, it's that kind of stuff that was, you know, I think really important. And so I, I think that losing that presence is maybe counteracted by Chris Richard being the new defensive backs coach. He'll bring that same focus in terms of game preparation and intensity uh, to practice. But I just think that having that solid cornerback too was such a, a, a such a boon for the Saints and for Marshall Lattimore and his development over the course of the season as well. And so I think that now leaves the largest sort of self-inflicted wound that has to be addressed for them. Uh, probably after that, I would say the loss of Justin Hardy uh, on the special teams unit. I know it's not a popular thing, but I think that Saints fans have begun to have have gotten to the point where oh, over time, I mean, from ambush on the the importance of special teams, you know, and the fact that special teams can literally win you a Super Bowl, you know, um, and so I think that's probably the other one that I would mention. And I know Emmanuel Sanders is in there somewhere, but it just feels like an easier position to address in these other two spots because wide receivers are coming in NFL ready rounds one through seven at this point in the draft, and you still have a really really good free agency class available too. Right. There's there's always receivers out there. And the Saints, yeah. of course, are counting on the developments of development of the ones right. that they have as well. Um, and, and and who knows how the offense looks differently under right. one yeah. of these other two quarterbacks. Sean Payton is going to have the same principles, but he may not have the same looks. Yeah, um, I'm really curious guys. to see how that Z flanker role that Emmanuel Sanders filled as more of a possession guy with Drew Brees and Taysom Hill changes with the full offseason for Taysom Hill or for Jameis Winston stepping into that role do they go with a more speedy deep threat type of a receiver like we haven't really seen I mean Ted Ginn I guess was your guy there for a little bit but you know that worked for a season Ted's not really a route runner like he's not a route runner right it wasn't a lot of skill and shake it's like if I'll run you I'll run you Right, exactly. And so I'll be interested to see if maybe a little bit more of these like nuanced speed guys like Keelan Cole or uh, Brashad Perryman, who had a really great connection with Jameis Winston, in particular at the end of the 2019 season when Evans and Godwin were both hurt. I'll be really interested to see if maybe some of those players become available to the Saints as, you know, third, fourth phase free agents, uh, either before or even after the draft, depending upon who's still available and on the market at the time, or just what the format is for the the prototype, excuse me, is for the wide receiver in the draft now and how that might change based upon, you know, you might have a six foot three, six foot five quarterback as opposed to a six foot quarterback where maybe the big bodied big catch radius isn't as important and you can go for you know the under six foot 185 190 pound smaller speed receiver in the draft instead of the guys that they usually tend to draft and develop i would really like curtis samuel yeah that was that was a big one for me uh but i mean look he got a great contract three years north of 37 million the saints were not gonna match that there was no way 
Um, and that team, the Washington football team, it continues to get really uh, in- interesting. But they've done this before. They've right. won the offseason before. But they haven't done it with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who <laughs> 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 comes in with just the highest variance of any quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Like, this guy does not care. He just wants to go out there and play football, and I love it. He I love stays it so getting much. paid. I, I mean, I, <laughs> he stay, that's all I can really say is he stays getting paid. Like, yeah. he, for somebody who has nothing on their resume as far as playoff wins, nothing, it never led the league in anything. You, you, Look, you ain't got an, no Pro Bowls, but Cat yeah. has made money. Yep. He is um, a energizing presence. For both the team and a fan base, because fans love Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fans of teams that aren't fans of the team that he plays for love Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick could have ended up anywhere for me. And I legitimately mean anywhere for me, and I would have been excited for him because the NFL is just better with him in it. The other part of it, too, is that like he is an am- he's an amazing marketing piece. I mean, just an incredible marketing piece because you just never know what you're going to get with him on the field and so people show up because like okay this is gonna be fire like just so yeah, watch, three like, weeks he can either, look like he's elite right and then for three weeks he can look like he just <laughs> fell out of bed right and then it just it just up and down all that it, it's incredible he's an incredible he's an incredible watch i uh, i want to to address the the richard sherman rumor real mm-hmm. quick because i know that there are a lot of people go oh they see the name richard sherman and and two seasons ago Richard Sherman was just as dominant his first year in San Francisco as they made it to the NFC Championship game. He was a mm-hmm. dominant performer. Last year, hurt. Yep. His age, those injuries, and the Saints' history with older corners. Um, it just seems to me I don't see the fit there unless he comes in on a really low deal. And that's, to me, something that I don't know if Richard Sherman is willing to accept at this stage of his career because – he quite frankly still believes he's one of the top corners in the NFL. Yeah, and, and and you know, that's he represents himself too, right? So he has to do his own agent talk mm-hmm. all the time and everything like that. But yeah, I, look, I, the connection makes sense, right? Chris Richard got the best Richard Sherman that we've seen, right? And mm-hmm. so the the connection between the two of them is solid. The connection between Richard Sherman and, and Sean Payton is also really strongly mutual as well right so i think you look at the way that the connection is made that's the part that makes sense there are a lot of people that are saying hey richard sherman's more of a zone corner than a man corner and everything but it wasn't really up until last season that we saw a lot more man from the saints and that was because you had janoris jenkins who was able to maximize you were able to maximize the man coverage along with marshawn Lattimore. You you know, the Saints have always mostly been a cover three team, cover three match, if you will, which does turn into man coverage, but still requires the intelligence factor of zone, you know, reading zones, you know, reading through and passing through zones and things like that and making adjustments depending on route combinations. Like you still have to have very intelligent players to do that. And, and Richard Sherman just fit that mold. Um that he's also not dreadful in man coverage. He wasn't no. in 2019, at least. I mean, yes, he allowed a 73% completion percentage there, but there was 11 of 15 passes. You know, he wasn't, he was targeting only 15 times, like 12% of 
of the time he was targeted in man coverage and didn't allow a touchdown 7.5 yards per reception in man coverage that season and only an 86 passer rating allowed like he was still very good in Mm -hmm. man coverage those are good numbers for man coverage right Uh, where you know you can get you know completely lost by a crossing route in man coverage regardless of how old you are or how fast you are so you know I don't think he can't do it Um, and I think that talking about his fit doesn't take into account a full catalog of work for him, but also potential adjustments. And I'm just talking about the man coverage, zone coverage thing. But we also don't know what adjustments are going to be made with Chris Richard now in the building. Does Chris Richard make Marshall Lattimore a better zone corner and allow Dennis Allen to play more cover one uh, or cover two zone looks as opposed to the man looks that they kind of, uh, fa- I don't want to say fabricated, but generated uh, last year. So I don't want to, you know, so I don't want to diminish the possibility from that range. I think that the, the real conversation is you moved on from Janoris Jenkins to save $7 million. Yep. Can you get Richard Sherman at less than $7 million? And if you felt like you were a year ahead on moving away from Janoris Jenkins as opposed to a year late. Do you feel that you can invest in Richard Sherman still a year ahead at this point in his career, as opposed to the year, the year, which would be technically a year too late at that point, especially when you have other pieces that are out there, like a, a Brashad Breland, who I think would be really interesting for the saints can play man and zone had a great season with Kansas city while he was healthy. Um, Quentin Dunbar, who also comes from Seattle, not much overlap between he and Chris Richard, but still a, 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 a language that can marry there. So there's still other players out there. I, I think Richard Sherman's going to draw attention because of the name, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I do think that he can be a fit. It's just we have to, there, it, it's just so hard to talk about is he going to be a fit while there's also a coaching change uh, involved in here, even though it's Dennis Allen's overall scheme. Chris Richard's addition may allow Dennis Allen to do different things than what we saw last season and maybe more things that we saw him try to do with some of these other corners. And maybe Richard Sherman actually gives you an advantage there. We just don't know at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, if they if they err on the side of going younger, obviously I don't have many qualms with that at all. Yeah, and I think it's just that cost is going to be a huge factor. Because, yeah. yeah, you're not going over. If you right. were going to go over, you would have kept Janoris. Right. Um, right. So I just think the Saints, as they do every year, they have hard numbers on people. And they say, mm-hmm. this is what the value we're willing to give out at this position. No matter right. who it is, This is we're not going over this for this group yeah. or for this yeah. player. Yeah, um, and your your best case scenario is that Richard Sherman wants to work with Chris Richard again really badly and is willing to say because he doesn't have to pay out agent fees, because he doesn't have to negotiate, you know, he doesn't have to have the agent negotiating with his pocket in mind, then maybe he's able to take, you know, a lesser deal than some of the other players out there on a one-year contract. I mean, we just saw Patrick Peters take one year $10 million. It's hard to believe that Richard Sherman wouldn't push for that for himself. Maybe he wants to work with Chris Richard hard, you know, enough to take less than that but uh, i mean you know that would have to be you'd be lucky to see that happen but it's not impossible no and and i think uh, you know something else that could work in the saints favor if that's where where it would go is how many options do you have that are going to legitimately give you a chance to win a super bowl right right and who's willing to pay you to do that so you know places like detroit places like you know who may have money that's not going to interest Richard Sherman at this stage in his career. He right. wants to get back to that mountaintop one more time. Yeah. And so if if you're going to cut some money out of your deal, it better be you're, you're only going to do that to win. 
you're, yeah. you're not going to do that. Yeah. And, and there's nothing about signing Richard Sherman that keeps you from investing in a cornerback in round one of the NFL draft, if that's mm-hmm. your best player available. Like, it doesn't move the position for you enough to not want to address it if that's the best player on your board. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's the other thing, too. But then do you want to pay him? Let's just say, let's say they land with him at $7 million, which would kind of make me laugh a little bit. But, you know, they landed with him at $7 million. You want to pay $7 million and then draft his potential backup immediately? Like, you know, you probably don't want to be in that situation. And so I think him playing only a handful of games last season is going to factor into his price tag too, but we'll see how much. Um, Quickly, before we wrap, let's go through some of the players who Mm -hmm. have not been resolved. Um, Their situation has not been resolved. So you got Ramchick, Lattimore, um, uh, Marcus Williams, of course. Mm -hmm. So of those three, um, I still think, you know, Marcus Ramchick is number one, Mm -hmm. Williams number two, and Lattimore three. Um, who do you think gets their deal done first and 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 who could be the odd man out? I would agree with that, uh, that order. I think, however, I think Marcus Williams could be the one to get his deal first because there's there's the actual like franchise, franchise tag deadline, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, um, that's attached to it. And so they're just because there's a date attached to it, that really doesn't mean much. Like he can still play on that $10.6 million and they're, they're fine. I mean, you know, John Johnson's contract just averaged out over $11 million in in Cleveland. So it's a fine situation for them to be in. But I think just because there's a date attached to it, he might actually get his deal first. Uh, but Ryan Ramchick, I believe, is the priority there. Um, I don't think anybody's the odd man out. I, I think that there's a way to get I, I think there it's it's very possible, especially now, to get all three of those extensions done at some point over the next year. Uh, you know, whether it be the offseason or like Demario Davis's contract that happened, you know, just before what, week the week two, two game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, that that possibility is very much there for them. And it's even more possible now because the Saints don't the Saints have the leverage to say, We're not extending you because we need cap space anymore. Right? We're extending you because we want to keep you here. And so it's not something about how like it has to be done to help the team or save the team right now. That's not as necessary at this point. And so I think that that's something to, that will work in the Saints' favor. Um, Ramchek's deal, uh, I think that they really want to have him done as soon as possible, though. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think they want to get into a position where they find themselves bidding for Ryan Ramchek. Yeah, I, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, I, I they'll get. Him, I think they would get him done while he's still on this fifth year option. I don't think it will wait until next season. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, or next off season, excuse me. Uh, but they do have a little bit of an advantage that there's not really any other tackles at his position that are up for a contract right now that are also extending. Like with Marcus Williams, you have Anthony Harris and Justin Simmons who can also get new deals. And so you have kind of the the Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara situation that you had last year. So you kind of want to get the deal done before those guys reset the market. And that could certainly happen with with Marcus Williams and these other safeties, particularly with Justin Simmons being ahead on a franchise tag that also could get done. So I think that factors into Ryan Ramchick. You don't really have as much of the competition out there outside of free agent right tackles that might sign. But at this point now, most of those guys are already off the board. And so it gives you an opportunity to kind of not have to worry about getting pushed uh, any which way or pulled any which way in terms of the contract negotiation. As far as Lattimore goes, I think the Saints have the most leverage with him Mm -hmm. um, just because of the last couple of seasons have not been up to the standard that he set as a rookie. Um, and, and, And the fact that uh, they, they can play the wait and see and say, look, we got a different defense. Things are going to say, we want to see how you adjust and adapt. Um, I think they can, they can use that language res- and, and it not be seen as insulting. Um, right. it, it's honest. 
And I think Marshawn is comfortable here in New Orleans. Um, and he knows his role and he knows what he can be worth. And he knows the Saints will pay to keep guys that they want. But I think he knows also that he's got to improve his production. Yeah, and I think that the question of consistency is always going to be something there, right? The the sort of four or five game ramp up at the beginning of a season, I think the Saints would like to see go away. And maybe Chris Richard and his attention to intensity um, helps with that. And also whoever they pair opposite Marshawn mm-hmm. Lattimore as well. Like there's another place where Richard Sherman makes perfect sense, right? Because you talk about intensity all the time. You have Richard Sherman and, and C.D. Deuce on the field at the same time. First of all, that's trouble for any opposing offense. But you know, at the same time, you know, you talk about somebody that can come in and lead with an by example, and and you know, who studies and, who does yeah, all this. Yeah, to where like all of that, all that certainly makes sense. But even still, you know, Richard Sherman developed that with Chris Richard, right? So Chris Richard can also bring that, you know, even even outside that situation. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me actually to see the Saints wait on his like let him play out his fifth year option especially because you don't need the you don't have to free up the cap space because you know you can still fill out your 90 man roster taking on 190 million you know thousand dollars at a time and even less than that because of the top 51 cutoff and everything you can kind of take your time with all that and there's still some cap saving measures as well with some of these other players that that are on the roster and so uh, yeah it wouldn't shock me to see them to see them kind of wait it out with him i think you're right they do have more leeway more leverage in that situation Find a team is, is in a good position overall. Uh, the Saints mm-hmm. have to be happy where they are heading into the draft as that gets closer. Um, so ultimately, this has been a successful offseason to this point. Yeah. Yeah. You cleared $111 million of salary cap space, franchise tagged uh, safety, uh, just for the hell of it, honestly. Um, and then you, you know, signed your potential new starting quarterback to a five and a half million dollar deal on the year that can be worth up to 12 million dollars but in terms of what's going to count against you like i I think that you know when you heard people talk about the saint salary cap situation you heard a lot of well they're going to have to move on from marshawn Lattimore because he's on a fifth year option and they might have to trade ryan ramchak and there's no way they're keeping x y and z and I, i don't think there has been any loss for the team so far that is so critical that they can't fill the hole first of all and and address the need um, and still be, and, and there's nothing that's going to keep them, I think, from being a team that competes for their division next season. And if nothing else gets to that nine, 10 win area, which can get them into the playoffs now that seven teams per conference are going into the playoffs. Like this is a team that still deserves expectation right now in terms of the core that they've been able to uphold. You know, they essentially still have almost the entire band of the 2017 draft class that changed the tide for them, with the exception of Trey Hendrickson and maybe Alex Anzalone at this point. But the guys that really, really made immediate differences for them are still on this team. And it doesn't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. Ross, thank you so much, man. Um, Another great episode. Um, uh, It's always informational. I learned something. And then it's just I think it's, you know, I just love talking to you. So um, same, man. Hit it with the folks one more time. They should know, but, you know, we, we, as a courtesy. Always happy to do it, man. Y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N-O-L-A. Uh, you can catch the podcast, Locked on Saints, every Monday through Friday, radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out the uh, website at canalstreetchronicles.com or at Saint CSC on Twitter. And, of course, every week here, don't patrol hard in the paint. Um, always have a lot of fun being here with you, man. It's always, like I mentioned, I say it every time, but I say it because I mean it. It's always a highlight of the week. So I, I always appreciate you having me here, man. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, so I know you got to run. So I'm um, until the next time, next week when we do this yes, again, this has been the Dome Patrol of Hard in the Paint for Ross Jackson. I am David Grubb. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right.